pray for me. Uh, we did get a hotel in Blackwell, so I will stay her rage at least 24 more hours. But, uh, uh, but pray for me as well. I, I don't typically sing without Lainey, uh, my daughter. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly how this will go. But our ranges are uh, miles apart, so it, it, it really should be fine, I guess. But I'd like to start with the chorus of His Eyes on the Sparrow. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For His eyes on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So Milburn has in the in the hymnal, and I, I don't I apologize, I don't know what number his eyes on the sparrow is in yours, but I am going to use a lot of these verses for this message. Um, I was telling Gail, I 
brought the kids into town early so we could get some swimming, and it's been a long month. Um, I, I know a lot of you are getting the prayer request sheet, but what it doesn't tell is that uh, Rebecca's on the spectrum for strokes at this point, and we can't figure out why. And, and she's had brain inflammation since the beginning of December, and we can't figure out why. And the parsonage has been torn apart because of black mold, and we're building that back up. And now the church house has a leak, and we're building that back. And Jerry came home, and he doesn't have a home, and we're fixing that too. And the Lord has been so gracious to us. But there's times when we don't know why these things are. And as I was thinking about it, and, and quite honestly crying again, because the shower is usually the safer place to do that, men. Uh, and by the way, you can clog a tear duct, I learned from crying as hard as I have in the month of January. Uh, it's the right one, in case anybody's wondering. It hurts. It dawned on me that I brought the wrong message. I thought, I, I think it's a good message. Brother Thorne and, and Sister Thorne heard it in Florida. I, I think both of them were great. Um, but that's not what he wanted me to preach. What he wants me to preach is I'm happy, unconditionally. I don't know why he wants me to preach it, but I don't dare defy my Lord and Savior. I'm happy unconditionally. I want to read Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. Uh, in the Berea, Brother Milburn had given Luke 12, verse 7 credit, and he, he didn't do anything lightly if you knew Brother Milburn. He didn't do that just because sparrows was mentioned in verse 7. But it was to cause for us to go look at the rest of the Scripture. What the, what's the writer talking about? What is Dr. Luke expressing from this moment in the Lord's ministry? And those who've been following our chronological study, we've already covered this event, so we're going to dive a little deeper into what's happening here. But in Luke 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. We read, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's an interesting thing in the very first verse where it established a multitude, I wonder if we could even fathom, a multitude gathered about to hear the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've preached in a lot of pulpits in the last seven, eight, nine years, and they look, the, the, the pews look like this. But a, a multitude that's innumerable and so much that they trod one upon another to be fed, to receive. And he goes on in verse 2, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that, ye would, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, in verse 8, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels, before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers 
Take ye no thought how or what things ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in, that, in the same hour what ye ought to say. I want to thank you for praying for my wife. I want to thank you for praying for our church, for our ministry, for our people. Prayer is effective. Not only uh, when the Lord hears and according to his will responds, but it's effective in bringing people closer together. And with the signs of the times that we have, it's never been more important that God's people be drawn closer and closer and closer together. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. It struck me, and it all, it's always struck me, the concept that, that we should not mourn like the rest of the world. And, and I'm, learn, I'm still learning a lot about that. Uh, as I mentioned, I believe when I was here before, I was there uh, for the Hillies last April. And I was there at his meeting in October. And it was wonderful to see the thanks that was being given. And when he begged me to speak, even though I didn't want to, the only thing I could muster up to say is, even if the Lord had taken Brother Nate home. God is still good. And this is that unconditionality. See, I can make up words when Rebecca's not here and get away with it. This is the unconditionality that we're speaking of with our happiness too. It's not dependent upon you having another pastor. It's not dependent upon my wife making it through whatever it is she's going through. God will still be good. It's not dependent upon whether or not Nathaniel Hilly made it through the necrotizing fasciitis. It's not dependent upon whether or not, and this is a good, an important one, a timely one, it's not dependent upon who's president at the end of 2024. God is good. God is great. God is fantastic. There are things we'll go through that we'll wish we didn't have to. But as we read last night in our study through Genesis, even Jacob said, my days were few and evil or difficult. Complex, but few. Praise the Lord. What does it mean that we mourn differently? That these experiences hit us differently? This is the, I don't know if I'll have an answer to this. This is, uh, those at my church know they're usually typed up and so clean and neat. That's not what this one is. So I don't know if we'll find out the answer to that, but it's a question that, that sticks into my paw. But I do have three points that we'll at least try to track down tonight. And we come right out of the hymn. Why should I be discouraged is our first point. Secondly, let not your heart be troubled. And thirdly, I draw closer to him. We read here in verse 7, when we look at the, this first point, why should I be discouraged? In verse 7, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Took less time to count for some of us than the rest. I just want to say it before Gail did. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. This phrase, of more value, uh, strong depicts all the other times it's used. And it literally brings to mind the, the idea of being carried differently through any place. That means a whole lot more than being of more value. I think it means the same thing. But for me, when I hear carried differently, I'm not carried like the sparrow. He cares for the sparrow, but he carries me differently. And he carries me any place I need to go. That lines up with the Bible examples that we have, does it not? Think about just Genesis, since I've mentioned it, just what Jacob and his family have gone through. The Lord carried for them very differently. And he carried them all the way to Egypt. And we could say, if we were ignorant, 
Well, the Hebrews, they had a close relationship with the Egyptians. But we established last night that it should be way worse. They only lied and abused their relationship with the Egyptians. So we cannot separate this, this hymn and this concept of happiness from the fact that God cares for His people. He carries them differently. Not even just cares for. He carries them. But the Bible, when it talks about Him being the shepherd and talks about us being hoisted upon His shoulders, out of reach of enemies, out of the, the reach of the, the, the wolf's jaws, out of the clutches of every danger, even ourselves, and we are carried wherever He is required for us to go. Not one sparrow is forgotten, according to verse 6. Not one sparrow is neglected before God, and we are even more valuable or precious than they are. It doesn't say that He cares for us like the most precious sparrow. It clearly says a very different way. But if he is capable of carrying, for, uh, carrying or caring for the sparrow in the way that is depicted here in Luke 12, how much the more does he do for us? Yeah. Why should my heart be lonely, it says there in the hymn. Jesus' sacrifice revealed an ever-present help in times of trouble. His sacrifice gave access and we'll get into the more complexities of that in a moment, but it gave access for us to that which we needed the absolute most. This song talks about happiness. I sing because I'm happy. We couldn't have been happy before. We had a, a different concept of what happiness was, but it wasn't true happiness. It was happiness with a shade of guilt. It would have had us eating at a very different restaurant tonight on a Thursday night, probably the Mexican place that was mentioned. Because that's where happiness is for those who are without hope. I have to feel less. I have to numb the pain. I have to drown the sorrow, as we say in the flesh. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. And the songwriter says his eyes on the sparrow. He cares that much more for me, but his eyes on the sparrow. He cares for the sparrow. He's numbered the sparrow. He's protected the sparrow. He's provided for the sparrow. Secondly, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. The second verse says, let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. Here's some reasons against a troubled heart, and we need these tonight. Reasons against a troubled heart. Has anybody ever experienced a troubled heart? Dive into our world for a month. We've had some troubles. No doubt you all have had some troubles. But in this text, in this hymn, we have some reasons against a troubled heart. These don't come easy. This is a requirement like, uh, men, you remember when we were little, some of you, daddy's in the room, but you remember when you were little and and, and dad told us to put on our big boy pants. That's what the Bible's telling us to do here too. Troubles shall come. In this world ye shall have tribulation, John 16. But be of good cheer. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Amen. We have to put on our big boy pants and we have to accept the fact that 
as much fun as it is to despair like the rest of the world, we're not called to that. We are called to much bigger, much greater things, and we're pilgrims here. This is not our home. Reasons against a troubled heart. The songwriter says, I hear his word. You know, the lost don't hear him. The lost see these words. It doesn't hit home. They don't understand what it's talking about, and it has very little meaning to them. And if you've ever witnessed, you've seen that. You've seen it in their eyes. I wouldn't say go as far as to say it's a deadness, but it's definitely a coldness. I hear his word. And the, and the songwriter describes it right there in that first line. It's tender. It's feeling. It's sensitive to my need. I hear his word and it's like it's been written for me. I hear his word and it speaks right to my heart, right to my situation. I hear his word and it's one of the most precious things to me. When Paul was in prison, he asked for his cloak and his parchment, the word of God, that it might be near unto him. That he'd be reminded against a troubled heart. Secondly, in the song, we see that I'm made able to rest in his goodness. I'm made able to rest in his goodness. Christ Jesus is the only sinless, sinlessly perfect anything in the universe. I'm made able to rest in his goodness. He came down here, was tempted like we are, not tempted to give in, but all of those temptations were about him like snares. And he went to the cross still sinless, still undeserving of what he was about to bear for our sake. And he suffered the humiliation. And he suffered being spat upon and tortured or examined, flogged. And he suffered hanging there while he heard the crowd continue to chant as they had been for days. Crucify him. Crucify him. See, it's easy in 2024 for TBN or whatever, and even some of these athletes, once they get to the Super Bowl, to proclaim to be Christians, and maybe they are. Did you know that this one that we follow, he never had an easy platform by which to say, slap this fish bumper sticker on your car and say you're one of mine. And no one in that crowd was going to do it. No one in that crowd. Simon Peter's a far off saying, I don't even know that man. But Jesus Christ's level of goodness never deteriorated and it never wavered. And he's made me able to rest in that goodness that I don't deserve. I had no goodness. I had nothing to rest in before Christ Jesus. The lost who are among us in this world today, maybe even in this room tonight, they're never going to find rest in this world. I know in the time in which we live in, it's hard to find rest even in one of the Lord's churches. So many of our sister churches are running rogue and beating one another up. I firmly believe that we're beginning to see the apostasy, the falling away, the forgetting of our first love. Sure. The idea that we were forgiven of so much just so that we could hold the best grudge. That's the competition that we see now. The third point, which is the most interesting, I, I feel like, that we see in this uh, second verse is that he leads me one step at a time. And we see it there, though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. 
And there's so many times in the Bible that uh, whatever biblical character we're dealing with, if they were permitted to see more than one more step, they would have run the other way. Or they would have found a way to plummet, to fail. And there's times in our lives when we don't know where we're going, but the only thing that we can do, the only good option is the next right thing. I hate to give Disney credit, but that was from Frozen 2. But it's accurate. Uh, Anna, Anna, however it is you pronounce her name, she's stuck in a cave, can't even find her way out. Her sister's gone. This talking snowman just did what snowmen do. And she sings a song about how she doesn't know what to do next except the next right thing. Beautiful song. Even Disney gets it right every once in a while. And in this hymn, the hymn writer says, Though by the path he leadeth me, I see one step. He permits me to see one step. And what do we do in the fog? My my grandfather always told me, watch the white line. You're no longer looking down the road. You're watching the white line, which is essentially for a car, the next right step. You can only maybe see half a car length or to the hood, but we're doing the next right thing, staying away from that line. And sometimes the, the, the things of this life will get so thick. We see it here in the, in the Scripture. He's, he says in verse 11, And when they bring you unto the synagogues. He doesn't say if they do. He says when they bring you into the synagogues. And when they bring you into the magistrates. And when they bring you before the powers. Take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you. The reason I've cried so much about my wife's situation is because I don't know what's next. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. And as much as I depend upon the Lord, I'm a planner. I'm one of the worst planners. I want to see things go the way they should go. I'll make a plan I don't even like just so that I can follow a plan. You come up to Caldwell, nobody gives me addresses, they just say follow me. That kind of thing is hard on a planner, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> but sometimes we make it through, we just see the, the next thing, the next step. But what he's saying in verse 11 makes me very uncomfortable. If indeed these last days before we're raptured home are like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, the first person they're going to come in after is likely the man who's standing in the pulpit. Give no thought to what I'm supposed to say, Lord. I, I'm the guy who wants to put an index card in my pocket every morning so that I'm ready if that's the day they come and take me. I live on the church property. But if I got an index card in my pocket, oh, you're taking me away? I've been waiting for this day. I've been planning for it. You shouldn't take me away. You should receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Turn to John 3.16. But that's not going to be how it is, is it? This verse says that we, we shouldn't even be planning for that day. We shouldn't give thought to how we're going to handle that day. And a lot of the reason I think he says it that way is because there's things of the Spirit we won't receive if we're so close to the script that we can't see it. He says in verse 12, For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. One step at a time. When these things reach their climax, when things get to their absolute worst. And don't worry, we're well on our way. We'll only be able to take one step at a time. Beloved, that means that in the season we're in right now, we are training ourselves. Marathon runners uh, and, and guys who are silly enough to try and bicycle 100 miles in a month, they train before that. They don't just start that month. 
So they're getting their, their legs ready to, to do the right motions and their, their mind ready to, to power through a certain amount of time. And, and whether it's biking, running, whatever it is, they're training themselves to, to put a little bit of that into auto so they don't have to think it through. But also that so their bodies are in full submission to what's about to be asked of them. This is the training season right here. This is the preseason, beloved Christians. We've had a thousand or so years apart from the dark ages where we haven't had to worry about a lot of this. But this season's coming. And Jesus says, when the hour cometh, don't give thought to what you'll say. He doesn't say, don't train for this. Don't study my word. I'll just give it to you. He says, write my word upon your heart. But in that hour, the Holy Ghost will bring it to your mind. The Holy Ghost will bring back what you've trained. If I didn't eat for a week and then went to run a marathon, my body's going to say there's nothing to draw from. The bank's empty. We have to be filled. In the hour in which this day becomes like the days of Lot and the days of Noah, there will be those that say, Lord, Lord, have we not tried to do the right thing? Lord, Lord, have we not tried to worship? There are so many of our churches without pastors. And as difficult as it is to say it out loud, it will be unacceptable to say, Lord, Lord, did we not try to find a pastor? This isn't a season where worship stops. This isn't a season where study ends. Beloved, you need to study maybe more than you've ever studied before. Study so that when the man comes, you know who he is. You know what you're looking for. Study that uh, if the man doesn't come before the days of Noah, the days of Lot begin, that your homes are secure in the Word of God. That the Holy Ghost has a bank to draw from in the hour in which you're brought before the magistrates and the synagogues and the powers that be. And that third point, Whenever I am tempted, says in the third verse, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies. There's, there's a season in my life that I would have said, I don't know what this songwriter's talking about. We had a, a miscarriage a few years back that caused some internal bleeding. Uh, and Rebecca was a few minutes away from not coming home with me that night. And I preached about a month later, a message entitled it as well, where similar to this, I broke down that song. I don't race to the next opportunity to sing that song. That song gives me opportunity or gives place to sighing. You know, not the kind of sigh where you're fed up with your teenager, but the kind of sigh where it's just, you're all choked up. I don't know where the next breath's coming from. I think that's what the songwriter's talking about. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, whenever songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, when I'm reminded of my frailty, when I'm reminded I am nothing, when I'm reminded I cannot get past this next hour, the songwriter says, I draw the closer to Him. He is our chariot. He is our path. He is our way, the truth and the life. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. You know the text, but maybe tonight you need to mark it. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Sometimes we hear that verse and we think, just one more thing he's asking, right? Like 2 Corinthians 6. Come away from them. 
be ye separate. Just one more time, I'm told to, to walk away from these heathen practices or from this group of people or from this public thing. Listen to the words, beloved. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why should we submit ourselves, therefore, to God? He's our shepherd. He is our physician. He is our door, our protector, our keeper, our intercessor, our propitiation. He's that way, truth, and life that we just spoke of. Why should we not submit ourselves unto him? He knows our every need. He knows, indeed, what is best for us. Sometimes what is best for us hurts. Sometimes what is best for us is the last thing we would ever want. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Do you know what verse 8 would mean to Jacob if we were to read it before him somehow? You know, the Goshen literally means draw nigh. And that's the section, this 900 square mile section of Egypt that was given to the nation of Israel inside Egypt's borders two and a half to three years into a seven-year famine. How'd they know it was going to be seven years? Go read Genesis, please. There was a dream. It was interpreted and so on and so on. But if we were to tell Jacob, this verse, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. What do you make of that? Jacob would say, listen. I usurped God my entire life. I was told I would receive the blessing and still sought to take it deceitfully. I don't think Jacob would say, Mommy made me do it. I think Jacob would be honest. And then I went to my mother's family, and I went into Laban's house. And we got into it a little bit over some bad dealings with wives, and then cattle. And then I left. He accused me of taking an idol. I didn't know it at the time, but Rachel had it. And then we set up what became a a famous trade route, but was for us a barrier in which I was never permitted to cross back into Laban's territory, and he was never permitted to come back into my territory. But on Jacob's side of that territory was the promised land. He was drawn nigh to God. God said it was time to leave, and he left. And in the promised land, Dinah's defiled. This is a real quick overview of Genesis. It's not everything. Dinah's defiled. The boys get riled. They go and massacre the Shechemites. They teach them religion. Get circumcised and you can be with us. And they killed the men when they were at their weakest. Men, you know what I'm referencing. Then he leaves again. He loses a handmaid. He loses a wife. He comes back and dreams come up again and he loses Joseph. For 20 years, Joseph's gone. Joseph must have been torn to shreds. Joseph must have died. The scripture says Jacob mourned so heavily he could not be comforted by family. His son was gone. You might think that's silly. You ever lost a son? I don't think it's silly. Flash forward and uh, some, some wicked ruler in Egypt says, all the boys got to come to Egypt or I won't give you grain. And Jacob says, absolutely not. I will not let Benjamin go. I've already lost Joseph. And Benjamin's the last of Rachel's children. I will not let him go. And Judah says, he's got to go. Or they, We could have been there and back by now. He's got to come with us. And finally, Jacob submits himself unto God. And he says, God be with thee, essentially. 
He prays for his boys and he says, El Shaddai will go with thee and will be with thee and will protect thee. Do you know what they found in Egypt? Joseph. Just a little while later, Jacob says, It is enough. Joseph yet liveth. In the text, it becomes Israel again, which is the name God had given him all along. I think if we were to ask Jacob, what's it mean to draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you? This sounds like works-based salvation, doesn't it? I got to do something and then get something. Jacob said, well, let me tell you, if you don't do it the first time when he tells you to do it, you will lose something. Jacob would tell us what it means to be drawn unto God. Over and over and over again, every time Jacob moved, he had to have communication from God to tell him to do it until that last time. But after his last visit to the altar of Beersheba, Jacob's response, God hath done this. God hath done these things. God hath ordained all of these things and made them possible. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Well, I didn't finish reading there. You, you turn to Hebrews 7. I'll finish reading. These, somebody hand wrote these notes. We've got to get them done. That verse 8 there in, in, in James 4, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's what this season's all about, beloved. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Who wants to do that? Remember what we said prayer does? It draws us closer to one another. You're praying and mourning and weeping over my wife. What I went through with the Hillies last spring, it brings us closer than we ever would have been without that affliction and that mourning, without that heaviness. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Humble yourselves before this God who knows your every need, this God who has numbered your every hair, this God, humble yourselves before this God who cares for the sparrow, every one of them, but carries for you differently. Hebrews 7 verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. This is the only other thing we have. We have the law and we have Christ Jesus. And here in verse 19, it says, The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Anybody know who the better hope is? I capitalized it in my Bible so I wouldn't forget. It's Jesus Christ. He is the way in which I draw nigh unto God. He is the only way in which I can submit myself to God. Christ Jesus is that better hope by which we may draw nigh unto this El Shaddai that Jacob was just telling us about. The result of my happiness is that I sing. That's what the hymn says. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Why am I free? I was set free. Making a comparison back to the sparrow. I was in my own cage. I don't like birds. Some of you already know that. Do you know what birds do in cages? Same thing they do everywhere else. But I'm set free. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, but he watches me with more compassion and more concern and more care and more providential planning than he ever spent on the sparrow. And he still spoiled the sparrow better than he deserved. 
The result of my happiness is that I sing. I sing His praises. I, I witness of His work in me. I glorify Him. Do you know what it would mean to the community here? Who's probably known that Brother Hilly's been gone for quite a while. They see the lights turn on on a Thursday night and they wonder what's going on. I'm sure they do. People are very nosy of what churches do. But do you know the impact it would have on them to see you all walk out of here cheerful? What are they so happy about? They haven't had a pastor in who knows how long. But they're God's people. What are Jacob, what's the nation of Israel so pleased about? There's a famine in the land. Well, what did Pharaoh tell him? Come into Egypt. Have the fat of the land. Egypt's doing great because of Joseph, who interpreted under the power and instruction of God the dreams that God had given to Pharaoh. God hath done this. Because of God, Egypt's doing fine. Because of God, the nation of Israel is doing fine. And you can apply that to 2024 because though the news looks a little bit hectic and reckless, the nation of Israel is doing fine because of God. Amen. Not wonderful by our fleshly standards, but they have the best protection they will ever have. They've got God. So how can this community see you smile and walk out of here? Because you have the best protection, the best caregiver you will ever find. One more reference. Turn over to Ephesians 6. And I promise this is the end. I wasn't sure how... I, was t- I think I was telling Brother Robert, I've gotten to the point where I know if I, if I type the way that I type front and back on two pieces of paper, that's 30 minutes. But brother, this is my first experiment with handwriting on the front and back of a small piece of paper. <laughs> Uh, it's 37 minutes so far. So this will, this will be the end of it. Ephesians 6. You know this set of verses too, but there's something here I want to pull out. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. And some will say, but that's not the whole armor. You keep reading tonight. You keep studying. But listen to what he says before he gets to the armor. There in verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That's a phrase that should sound familiar. It occurs throughout the Bible. Joshua, most notably, has a place that people write and put on their walls all the time. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You have access to the might of God. Did you know that? You can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because you have access to Him through Christ Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God. We were talking about the worst days imaginable, the days of Noah, the days of Lot, or the typology that Jesus himself gave us for the time of judgment that's coming. This judgment that is essentially at hand. It's, it's, it's present. It will be on us very shortly. Amen. Put on the whole armor of God that in that day, in that the worst days any of us have ever seen, ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What we battle is spiritual wickedness in dark places. What we battle is the darkness that men love rather than light. It's, 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 it's a crisis, that condemnation in John 3. You may have heard me say it before. That word there for condemnation is where we get the word crisis. Boy, when you say it like that, it sounds immediate and present danger is upon us. If we, if we were reading a comic book and the word crisis came up, you're about to see all the heroes on the next page. They're all coming in hot because we have a crisis and it must be handled. I'm not talking about how our current president would handle it. 
doesn't have a clue how to handle the crisis or how to get off the stage. Isaac was telling me about that just a little bit ago. But God does. There's nothing, as we just read in Luke 12, there's nothing coming that's not been foreseen. There's nothing whispered in dark places behind big, thick doors he hasn't heard. There's nothing that won't be proclaimed. There's nothing that won't be revealed. How we, you and I, how we handle these times of crisis, these times of conflict, these times of affliction, these times of despair, these times of, uh, of great concern, of, of questionable next steps. If the days of Lot and the days of Noah do not come in our generation, it will come in theirs. So how we handle this time, you, you understand how over time we lose things. It will impact what they will have. The churches that we know of without pastors, so many of them have gone so long now that an entire generation, when I pastored in Berea, 